You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. In this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, Kate and I reflect back on our first episode on financial news and provide an update and ways to think about consuming financial news in a healthy way throughout coronavirus isolation and how it can possibly impact your finances and decision making. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Thanks, Owen. It's uh, good to record another episode on this sunny Tuesday morning, I think it is today. Yes, it is. It's a sunny day in Melbourne. It's cold. It was eight degrees when I went for my morning walk, but it's lovely. You're brave. I haven't got out of the house yet. (laughs) Uh, No, I try and get out twice a day during isolation. So morning and night just to stretch the legs and get away from the desk, really. That's that's good of you. I I think I I managed to do one big walk and that's about it. I'm done for the day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's the thing is, it's still good to do one walk a day. You just got to force yourself to get out because you got to have that separation, or at least I do. Mm. Yeah, I tried doing mm. a group PT session last night over Zoom, and uh, that was that was fun. <laughs> uh, at least you're giving it a shot. That's the spirit. Yeah, see, so, seeing everyone in their bedroom doing exercise was an interesting experience. Oh, you, I thought you would have just had your camera off. No, no, we had our cameras on. There was about oh. seven of us, I think. So. We could, huh. yeah. <laughs> so, okay. uh, it's been strange. Yeah, it was a test from uh, from one of. Obviously, no one's working at the gyms anymore, so they've suddenly got a lot of time to do sessions online. So, uh, yeah, yeah cool. but I, I'm not sure Zoom quite works with that many video cameras on. Mm. Well, it's a good idea anyway. Everyone being healthy, active, and 
personal trainers still working and, and running their business. Mm. Anyway, Kate, what are we talking about in this episode? <laughs> All right. Well, today we're talking about financial news. So a little bit more interesting than what I just told you. But um, <laughs> what we have talked about financial news before, but it's more relevant now because there's just news flying all over the place, um, especially in relation mm. to the coronavirus. Uh, a lot of it's not factual. And we're also consuming a lot more news than we ever did before. So I I'm, I mean, personally, I know myself, suddenly I'm watching the news on TV. I mean, mm. I wasn't, I was never doing that before. And I'm every day sort of looking at the ABC News um, online and saying, well, are there any new cases? Are there any new deaths? So that's that's something I never would have thought to look at before. And now suddenly I want to know. Um, so I think that's it's quite an interesting topic to discuss right now because we need to be able to uh, make sure we're looking at the right sources, multiple sources. We're not just following the loudest person talking and we're actually consuming um diligently and we're sort of fact-checking what we consume at the moment yeah absolutely and for like people who um are around the finance world like we are it's so important to get your news from the right places to get your information from the right places and then uh, actually put that information into practice so you know there's a lot of misinformation in finance in particular it's a lot of emotion when it comes to money so making a sound decision um is really important, but it's also really difficult for most people and indeed finance professionals. I see it all the time. So Kate, we talked about financial news back in episode 27. What has, I guess, what, what has changed in recent weeks to make you in particular want to, want to, uh, to talk about this again? I know there are a few things that you and I have learned since then, but I guess what, what, why, why now, why does it matter? Well, I saw a really interesting stat by the Global Web Index, which is a market research company, that they found that over 80% of the consumers in the US and the UK are saying that they're consuming more content since the outbreak of the coronavirus. Mm. And this content isn't just TV. It's YouTube videos. It's TikTok videos. They're watching people on Instagram Live. They're watching people on Twitter. And a lot of people have a platform to convey news that, maybe they're not necessarily they don't have all the facts or things like that so we're getting news from a lot more sources than maybe we did before and I think now it's more important than ever that we have factual news especially because um, listening to news that isn't based in fact can be really dangerous and I think there was someone in the, the US that listened to some incorrect health information to really bad results so that was just one scary scenario that I think that we can avoid if we actually make sure we look at multiple sources, check the facts, actually look at where someone's pulling the statistics from and uh, sort of examine what we're reading and, and not just listening to the loudest person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think any time in day or night, it's important to, to, to be critical of your source of information. And I think we shared something in the past, which was a chart that effectively showed on a graph that what's important is rare. So when you when it comes to news, it's it's actually it's very rare to find information that you need to act on straight away. And yet, in a time like this, in a crisis like this, where there's health concerns and there are concerns about money, um, you feel like 
you feel compelled to act straight away. And unfortunately, what we've seen recently is an increase of people getting information from sources that maybe aren't reputable, or at least they have a lack of trust in those that are reputable for one reason or another, and they're basing their decisions on incorrect information. So um, we've got some really interesting, um, I guess, charts here that come from the Visual Capitalist and inside the Global Web Index. What are some of the things that jumped out out to you? I mean, I can see that Gen Z, the uh, the population, seventy one percent are listening to music while they're in quarantine. Mm, I think that's a yeah percentage of increase, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. percentage increase. Yeah, and yeah. so it, it's quite interesting. You know, there's been a, a over fifty percent increase in most age groups of people wanting to watch movies and shows and funny videos, and I think over forty percent increase in people playing games on their phone looking at memes, I mean, there's, uh, I think a lot of people are needing a break and so they're doing a lot of different things they might not have done in such a quantity before. But the, I guess the biggest stat I was sort of looking at is that um, most age groups are really, there's a massive increase in people searching for the coronavirus updates. And um, Mm. for most people I talk to, it's sort of every day they're keeping up to date on what the latest um, cases are in Australia, the latest fatalities, um, any outbreaks, that sort of thing. And I guess you can understand, you want to know where these outbreaks are. So if you've been around those areas or you've got, I mean, especially in aged care, you might have family in those sectors and you want to know where the big issues are. So um, at the moment, getting your news from sort of those sources is sort of the only way to figure out what's going on at the moment. Yeah, I've got to admit, Kate, I'm really disappointed that there's only an 18% increase in listening to podcasts. I mean, come <laughs> on. Like, seriously? Yeah. An 18% increase. Reading Everyone celebrity so time. reading celebrity news is actually in front of listening to podcasts in <laughs> percentage increase. So we'll, we'll include the link to this um, venture capitalist uh, chart in the show notes because it's quite quite funny to have a look at uh, and see what everyone's getting up to and whether they're reading healthy eating articles or actually cooking. Mm, very interesting. What about when it comes to trustworthy sources of information? Yeah, I think at the moment, I mean, personally, I've been looking at the sort of ABC News online a lot, but I've also been checking other sources, but I it's sort of changing very regularly. So two news stories could be published at the same time but have slightly different information just because of the constant inflow Um, and that's why it's also important I've found at the moment to look at what time the article was published and when it was last updated because if things are changing day by day so things you see in the morning might not be the same as the afternoon especially when the government was announcing all those subsidies um, like JobKeeper and JobSeeker the other week and things kept changing and then suddenly there was the childcare subsidy and so it's important to have a look when it was published, who it was published by, um, what news station you're looking at, especially if you're just looking at the news on Facebook or um, things, other sources like that where you don't quite see who the story or news is from. So just check who's publishing the story, where are they getting their statistics from as well. Yeah, it's an interesting one because... When there was a survey, and we've got it, we'll put a link to it in the show notes again. When there was a survey done, only 61% of people say that they trust the World Health Organization for 
um, sources of information um, this time. So, you know, when you when you talk about the pinnacle of information for epidemics, it's probably the World Health Organization. Mm. And less than so, if we go one step down, only forty nine percent of people trust the government websites for uh, accurate information. So, I mean, this is like for me personally, this is kind of like up there as like the most important. And then, I mean, it's not surprising in my opinion that we see 39% of people trusting the news channels. But what's even scarier than that is only 31% of people trust scientific articles. So, I mean, maybe that's a comprehension thing. Maybe it's an access thing. Who knows? But, I mean, if 31% of people are trusting scientific articles for trustworthy sources of information, it's pretty scary. Mm. It's it's good though to see that um, less people are trusting just news shared on social media and blog posts and word of mouth because I think that's that's the real risk factor when at the moment we're just saying oh I heard from someone who knew someone who got sick here or blah 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 and things are just getting around through word of mouth that aren't entirely accurate or as the old sort of the um, the, the whispers game you played at school where <laughs> things changed along the way as you passed one bit of information to the next person. Um, and, and a lot of people are doing videos as well, which um, I, I know like Instagram and Twitter seem to be the place for that. And I guess Owen's, uh, Owen's recently found TikTok as well, but people are actually sharing <laughs> news and opinions on these sites. And it's important to find out whether it is someone's opinion or it is they are providing news because a lot of people are sharing opinions about what they think is going on at this moment, especially with the financial markets that are just opinions. And that's really important to decipher whether it's just someone's opinion or it's actually based on some factual information. Yeah, we see this all the time, right? So there are so many YouTubers, um, podcasters, um, even websites and blogs that in Australia do not meet the minimum standards for licensing and for all the different types of um, regulation. So, I mean, I credit everyone, you know, I give you know, praise to everyone that really wants to learn about finance and share their wisdom. But that unfortunately, it's so easy now to start a podcast. It's so easy to create a website, to join a forum, to do all these things and just spread information that is totally not true. You might believe it to be true, but it's just so poorly conceived and thought out. And then it just spreads information, which is really um, dangerous and hazardous to people's wealth. That's why we always say when you get financial information, you should probably get it from a licensed financial advisor or someone who, or a company that has an AFSL, so a financial services license um, for this reason, because if something goes wrong, then they, they are liable. With, but without having that liability attached to the information that they're spreading, it's actually like there's no restriction on what they can and can't say. So you often see, for example, YouTube videos um, about you know investing in the share market and all this type of thing from people that really don't know anything. Um, and they're just really just trying to do it to get advertising revenue from YouTube or from wherever they get it from. And so you just have to be really critical when it comes to your finances because there's really no exception. You know, they're really the best person to look out for your financial situation is you. And so when you get this information into your, into your brainwaves, it's really important to, to, I guess, critique the source, critique the message, 
um, all of these different things that we're about to talk about. But just before we move on from trustworthy sources, Kate, I feel like there's really no point us talking about this anyway, because only 10% of people trust the information that comes from a podcast. <laughs> so no one's going to listen to our, our um, source recommendations, are they? No, that's it. I mean, World Health Organization, 61% of people trust it, but only 10% trust podcasts. I mean, come on. <laughs> just two people behind a mic. But um, yeah, I, I always just check multiple sources. I think that's the biggest thing. If you're reading the AFR, make sure you're reading other newspapers. If you're reading Livewire, make sure you're looking at other uh, financial professionals as well. So um, and, and have a look at their background. How long have they been doing this? What's their track record? Um, if you go online, to especially Twitter, you can see two opposing very well-formulated arguments by educated professionals on the same topic within minutes. And so mm. if you just read one, you've only heard one person's side of the story and then you might read the other one later and go, oh, I wish I saw that earlier. So I think it's always important to find opposing views, especially in, in finance itself. Uh, if you're looking at shares or um, you're wondering what's happening to the world, just make sure you find opposing views because there's a lot of different opinions at the moment. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just important to recognize that for what it is. Yeah, totally. And we've got some strategies for people to kind of cut through the noise a bit here. You've come up with three concise questions that people can ask themselves um, obviously not out loud every time you click into a website, but maybe just, uh, you know, just to think about as you hear this, what are the, the news sources that you use and how do they stack up against these three questions? So maybe, Kate, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing is whether the article is based on data or opinion. And I think some of the Australian newspapers actually like right at the top um, I see, I'm seeing at the moment, I think on the age that this is an opinion piece or an analysis piece or something like that, but not everyone does that. So I think it's for firstly working out whether this is actually news and they're providing you with data and statistics, or they're just providing you with their own opinion of the scenario, which more, more people than ever are just giving you opinion pieces at the moment. Mm. Absolutely. There's a lot of that going around. What about number two? Uh, is the article looking at the past? And there's certainly a lot of articles looking at the past at the moment and what comparing it to previous issues like the GFC or World War II and all sorts of things. So they're comparing today's trends and today's data um, based on the past. Like I, I, on TV the other day, I saw a graph comparing job loss in the US um, versus the now versus the GFC. So there's a lot of data that's coming out that's comparing versus past conditions. And there's a lot of information coming out that's trying to predict the future. And there's, I, I, because it's so uncertain at the moment, everyone wants to know what's going to happen and what's happening next. When is this going to happen? When should I invest? So more than more people are going to look at information that's saying, oh, in five months, this is going to happen. So whether you can look at the information and say, well, is this looking at past data? Is it trying to predict the future? Um, and just sort of being aware of where they're getting the information from and how they're making these sort of connections based on the past or predictions on the future. Yeah, that's it. We always have this thing in finance, which people who like, it's very easy to bamboozle people with finance, right? It's very easy to be like, look at this chart from today versus the great depression, mm. or look at this chart from 
today versus ancient Babylon? Like how similar are these charts? And you could be comparing stock prices to the price of potatoes or tulips <laughs> or who knows what. Like it doesn't, like people just get, people just see some lines match up or some data that looks impressive and it's written by a, a financial firm or someone sounding professional and they just take it as truth. And it's, it's very, it's just, I guess it's just so easy to bamboozle people and to kind of be the snake oil salesman that has this shiny chart and it makes sense and it looks so good and it provides you comfort because there's certainty. But the, the real, the reality of epidemics and the reality of stock markets and investing is that there are absolutely no certainties. Mm. So you can't trust any of this sort of stuff that comes out. And in social media, we have this, this tag that you add to people who do this type of thing and it's called a chart crime. And it's basically like one of the first things you should do when you, when you look at a chart is you should compare the, the axes. So you should look at the, the vertical axis and the, and the horizontal axis and then com, com, compare them to like in terms of size. So oftentimes what you see in say the Australian Financial Review or the Sydney Morning Herald or the Australian newspapers is on the left-hand side when they've got a stock price, instead of showing you from zero to $50, as the, like the range, they'll show you from $40 to $42 and it will show you the share price falling. But if you actually zoomed out of that chart, you would actually realize that it's only, it's less than a 5% fall, mm. but because they zoom so far in, it makes you think that it's collapsed. And then they'll do the same thing with the other axes. They'll, they'll have a, a time scale, but the time scale, like if you ever go into Yahoo finance or Google finance or any, pretty much any app, like even brokerage accounts do this too. They'll show you daily stock prices, daily, right? But we're, we are investing, if you are listening to this podcast, I hope you're on this train too. We are investing for 10 years, 20 years or 30 years, not for a day. And so, you know, that in itself is just a cue to pull on your emotions. And people don't realize that there's these little signals that we have that we're feeding into our brain that really are designed just to make us act and feel and, and, and act impulsively. And really what we, what we call is in psychology is trigger that system one thinking that more monkey brain thinking. Um, so like you got to, you know, there's these little cues that you've got to be able to pick up on and discern as well. Um, and then not to mention people comparing today's figures to past figures and then making some statement about the future. I mean, you only need to go back and watch a video of a finance professional from five years ago to see how <laughs> wrong they were about almost everything that they say. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, this, th those are just little examples, but you've got one more, Kate, that you want to throw at us, and I think this is a really good one. Yeah, so the last one is whether the article has a testable hypothesis, and I, I would probably say and conclusion as well. Can you actually test what they're saying, and can you go and... Um, verified against another source is there a way that you can um, in the future sort of see whether that what that person said has any factual basis on it um, and that sort of goes well whether it's, it, it's opinion or actually data mm. it's that is so it's one thing that we 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 justify things with data right and it's another thing to actually be able to go back and test it oftentimes what you'll find is even if you could test it in the future, you just won't be bothered. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. but at yeah, the same you're never time, going to remember what who said what. That's it, and you've got to. That's the thing, right? You can actually look at most in terms of finance professionals. You can go online and read their what they've said in the past and see if they're right or wrong. Like I've been wrong about Afterpay since it was two dollars, and now it's like thirty. And so, like, you can go back and you can call me an idiot for that, or you can um, actually go 
beyond that and you can say, okay, what was the rationale? What was the reason that, you know, I said after pay, please avoid those shares. Like what was the reason behind that? And is that testable? Mm. So you don't necessarily have to be right on the call. You don't necessarily have to be right on, you know, this is going to happen, but how did they get to that information? And I think that's a really important thing because it ties back in with your first point is, is this based on opinion or is it based on data or is it opinion based on data? You know, there are, there are a few different layers to that. Yeah. And actually, I, I think that comes to on. not just reading the headline um, because you might, oh, yeah. the headline will give you one sort of this big action point or a, a really scary figure or something to bring you in. But if you just read the headline, then you might not get the right news because the headline might not be the what the article's about. Often the headline might just be something sort of that pulls you in. But if you don't read the article, then you might you're just taking a really small fragment away and you don't get the correct context for what they're talking about. Mm. Absolutely. You couldn't, I couldn't have said it better. I want to, I want to ask you a question, Kate, now, because we've kind of gone pretty deep into this. Are you, do you watch the, do you listen to the news every day? Um, At the moment I have been, I think ever since um, I canceled my trip around the 13th, I have been of Feb, I've been listening and sort of checking the news every single day. Okay. And does it make you feel any different? I don't know. I think at the start, when it, everything was going pretty crazy, it, it did make um, you feel a bit worried about what was actually going to happen in, in the country and how things were going to turn out. I think things are looking maybe a little bit more positive at the moment, but um, it's probably too soon to make any calls there. But I think um, it's just suddenly something I do each day. I, I check the news um, and I go on to ABC and find out um anything key that's happening on, which is probably not something I used to do uh, on a daily basis. I might have looked at sort of financial articles and news on a daily basis, but definitely not general news. So um, I'm definitely, yeah, increase my consumption of financial news. Mm. It's really interesting. Um, I don't know. I feel like I live a better life. I'm a better version of myself because I don't listen to the news. Mm. Uh, it sounds silly because you kind of want to be an informed person, particularly if you're investing. But, um, you know, there's, it's not that the news is necessarily a bad thing or what have you. And um, I just don't like the way it's designed, the way it manipulates people. Mm. And um, so I choose to get my information from people who can filter that info, that nonsense out for me so i tend to follow people on social media or their blogs or their newsletters people who tend to cut through the noise for me so i don't have to and it's a lot less strain it puts a lot lot less strain on my own capacity to think about these things but also it means that um you know i don't waste my time i don't waste my time listening to the 6 p.m news or the 7 30 in the morning news um i get someone else to effectively filter that for me and i just I catch up when I need to. And the reality of most of this stuff is Jason Zweig, I think I've said this before on the podcast, Jason Zweig, who is a um, New York Times columnist, I believe, he says he's paid a yearly salary to write the same thing 200 different times. <laughs> so uh, so, so he, he just writes the same thing every day, but in 200 different ways. And that's because the message doesn't change. When it comes to finance and investing, it's just dollar cost averaging works 
keep buying investments that you think will make you money and just keep accumulating. Like that's as simple as it is. And yet we're kind of, everything else is just a distraction. And so I try and separate that. Like, I think you're trying to too. Like you've, you've said that, you know, in the past you just listened to financial news and, and columns and that type of thing. But now it's kind of widened to more of a health issue. Yeah. And so I get that. Um, my source of news is really just the ABC, BBC in the U- in the UK, um, pretty much anything that's quasi independent of um, you know the corporate world and the gender that they push, whether for political reasons or, or what have you. Um, so that's that's something interesting. But um, I, I think did I have I ever mentioned the book Factfulness on this program before? Okay, do you know? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, so the Factfulness book is written by a guy called Hans Rolling and his uh, Rosling, sorry, and his and his uh, daughter and daughter's partner, I believe. And it's probably the most profound book I've ever read, uh, bar none. So I do not say that you know that's not hyperbole. It's actually the truth. It's probably the most profound book I've ever read. And in effect, there are he spent his life as a doctor studying epidemics and working in third world countries, trying to help them cure illnesses and get fresh water and and all of these different types of things. And he wrote this brilliant book called Factfulness. And there, I'm going to probably ruin it for a lot of people, but there are effectively eight factfulness rules of thumb and it talks and, and the eight rules of thumb are effectively instincts that our brains get tricked into and one of them is the gap instinct. So um, people try and like draw two parallels between different things and say there's a gap, you know, it's us versus them. It is, you know, we put a label on things. It's first world versus third world. Um, the, the second thing is obviously the negativity instinct or the fear instinct. Like we talk about this a lot, like fear mongering in the news. You can see that everywhere. So you just got to expect it. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're going to expect the news. The next thing is that people think things move in straight lines when they don't. So we've found that out with um, epidemics recently with coronavirus, COVID-19. People thought, oh, you know, and I, even I thought this for a while, is that, well, if 3,500 people die a day from car crashes, why are we worried about potentially losing ex- uh, China losing 3,000 people from a flu-like symptom, right? Mm. That's a straight line insect. We've, we forgot that these things do not move in a straight line. They actually are exponential. Mm. Um, Obviously, we've got just a general negativity instinct as well. Um, But the big one that we see at the moment is this thing called a size instinct. And what we tend to see in the news is things like, I think you've talked about this before we started recording, Kate, about the, the stock market news that said the stock market fell sharply 1% today. (laughs) You know, like, 1% 1% is nothing. It yeah. does not mean anything to anyone, like 1%. And yet they say that that's a sharp move or like when it falls 3 or 4%, they, they throw out numbers like $50 billion wiped off the share market and then there's a big red flash across your, your screen. Yeah. But $50 billion in the scheme of $2 trillion really isn't a big deal. So they try and throw these numbers at people who are uninformed to scare them. Mm. Um, and I'll just throw one more is that it's... Um, which is one you all know well, and it's one that any marketer uses is the urgency instinct. So the, the, the feeling that you have to move now, it's the old fight or flight behavioral bias that we succumb to where <laughs> we think if we don't do something now, something bad is going to happen to us. Yeah. And it is so easy for us in marketing. Indeed, I do it too. It's easy for us to manipulate people 
using the, the urgency instinct because they feel like they have to do it for greed or for fear or for hope. There are so many different things and it sounds pretty sinister to say that, but it's the truth. And you only need to listen to your favorite news channel, news desk every evening and you'll find that they do all of these things to you without you even realizing. And that's again why I just kind of avoid <laughs> the news and try and filter it out. Anyway, that's, that's my rant on news. Kate, um, you have some, I guess, some ways that you critique the financial news. Yeah, so I think I found these, um, I put the show notes in the show notes where I got the source for this from, but different ways to become a more informed consumer of financial media. So mm -hmm. we did talk about that earlier in the episode, but evaluating the source and does this person have the right credentials to say what they're saying or are they just sharing their opinion online? And I, I think that's the most important one. Where is this information coming from? Or are you just listening to someone that's being retweeted uh, a thousand times just because mm -hmm. they had something uh, in capital letters to say? Um, then questioning the melodrama and that, that leads on to what you were saying before because even if the news outlet's saying completely factual information, they're using data, a lot of the, um, a lot of the drama, the emotion is really fictional. So when you're saying there was a sharp decline of 1%, well, maybe the 1% is the factual part, but mm. sharp, well, that's just sort of part of the drama and that's trying to get you to click and interact and do something um, and view the news and get them advertising dollars. Uh, the next one is looking at the tone. Is the is it an attack on someone? Does the person writing the article have an agenda? Are they really against one particular organisation or one party? Um, and maybe they have a history of re being really against this one party. So what the information you're reading comes through a certain lens. And everyone everyone writes and sees the world through a lens of some description, but um, it's important to work out, does this person have an ax to grind um, and whether they are saying things completely factually or just through um, through an attack uh, agenda? Mm. That's um, It's something that we see in finance and it's very, for those who have been in the industry a long time, it's actually very easy to see it play out because you know their motive. You know that they, if they're a fund manager, they want to get they want to keep money in their funds so they earn more fees or they want to um, attract new money so they say things that are quite bold or eye-catching so you then go and invest with them when they prove to be right. If they're wrong, you won't, you won't probably won't remember it. Um, but if they're right, then you will remember it and you'll go and invest with them. So it's very easy and financial advisors do this too when they write blog posts or whatever. There's almost always a call to action that's along the lines of, Oh, you know, and you should seek financial advice if you do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, okay, yeah, I get, the, I get the hook here. Um, so you do see that all the time. But what about the last one, Kate? Yeah. So once you've considered their motive and why they're doing it, because they're not doing it for free, uh, then check the facts. And can you find any independent source to verify the facts? Because you might, you might see something that's quite startling or interesting but can you go and find that verified in another source can you look at a more independent source whether that's for you a government website or your independent news bureau or some scientists that you respect in their fields um, just finding out whether that fact or opinion that's expressed has some basis um, and whether you can find some sort of verifying information for that yeah and that's a really good one it's it's often hard to do, but um, 
you know, I think the easiest way to do it right now is just to look at what's being said anywhere. And then you can go on to say, for example, health.gov.au and check the latest statistics. I think there was a lot of misinformation when the virus first broke out. Um, you know, I've, I feel I'm not taking sides in politics here, but I think if you look at the way um, the Australian government handled the the recent outbreak, there was a lot of people saying this is a tragedy. We need to close the borders now. We need to shut down. We need to do all of this type of thing. And I was definitely one of those people like, why don't we just shut this or shut that? And I'm a finance person and I understand the implications. But I think now people are starting to realise that every day that we held off was actually probably a good decision. Mm. And it definitely it's definitely going to help us as a society move ahead. Um, and that's a way to kind of like go back and, and check their reasoning. Um, at the time, there was definitely some issue with communication and, and, and how, I guess, the government was basing its decisions on medical advice or what have you. But now you can see that maybe those were the right decisions and you can go back and you can check the facts. Did it actually help holding off a bit? And it probably did. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot of good things in there, Kate. I think there's probably too much in this one <laughs> podcast for anyone to digest yeah. and go away and become a different consumer of news. So we'll put in a, a, um, a bunch of show notes. We'll put in some of the, the charts. We'll, we'll include a summary section on how you can evaluate the news. Um, yeah, and, and go from there. Yeah, and it's, and it's not something that, you'll just get overnight. I mean, even yeah. me, I'm reading a headline and going, oh, actually, got to take a step back. Where's this news coming from? I'm, am I going to get riled up and um, sort of worried about nothing? So, uh, yeah, it, I think it's something you always have to work about in the way you discern and read financial media and any news for that matter. Yeah, and it makes it very difficult. So if you are an investor in, say, an ETF or your own shares or something like that, it's always important to seek out alternative views um, and to, I guess, just go about your business trying to find good sources of information, keeping tabs on who said what. Um, and then you can come back and you can revisit that source in the future to see if it was, it was indeed the right one to be following. Uh, Kate, conscious that this episode has gone on for a while, <laughs> how can people find out more about you? Uh, if you want to read more, I'm available on Twitter and Instagram at HowToMoneyAUS and online at HowToMoney.online. That's it. And I'm Owen Rask on Twitter and Owen Rask AU on Instagram. And you can, of course, find all the show notes and me at rask.com.au. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. No worries. Thanks, Owen. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees and 1000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, 
or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.